So as I was listening to the gospel being read so well by Deacon Sandy, I was like, how did I get this to preach on? I mean, come on. So (laughs) anyway, here we go. And obviously there's a lot of different sections in it, but I, I did pick one section about anger. So as I was reading through the Gospel of Matthew, I was using a daily program. This was a year ago. And I remember reading Matthew 5.22. And it says, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Well, I've been a Christian for 40 years, and I've read that passage many times. Even as a deacon, I would read the passage to the church. But for some reason that night, as I was reading it, the words popped off the page, if you call someone an idiot, I felt like a two-by-four hit me upside the head. This was my favorite word to call someone. (laughs) So, now I would never call someone an idiot to their face, of course. (laughs) I've always tried to be very careful to not call people names. Because even from a young age, I never believed the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words, names, will never hurt me. However, I realized I need to just stop using the word idiot when angry with someone, even in my mind and heart. I've been working on this, but I continue to be tempted at times. It's difficult to change a habit, isn't it? but I also did not want to endanger my soul to judgment. So when Kevin asked me to preach Matthew 5, 21 to 26, when I read the passage again, I thought, did he know that I had been convicted by these verses? (laughs) Well, God did. How about you? When were you angry recently? Today? This week? And how did that come out? Did you call that person a name out loud, inside? Jesus speaks to us right here, right where we live. Jesus' best-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, has several sections. Jesus begins each section by saying, You have heard it said, but I say to you, He contrasts how people usually think about some issue, anger, adultery, divorce, revenge, enemies, and how we should really look at it. Jesus reveals the will of God as it contrasts with tradition. Scholar Craig Keener explained, Jesus is not opposing the law itself, but interpreting it. He shows how the customary practice of the law in his day is inadequate. Tonight, I'm going to focus on Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Jesus' main teaching about anger. Here, Jesus is interpreting one of the Ten Commandments, do not murder. So let's look at Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder, 
If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Jesus says, you've heard the Ten Commandments, and they say, you must not murder. And everyone was clear on that, but they also used that to say, I never killed anybody, so I'm okay. I may have ripped into them with anger, but I didn't actually murder them, so God is fine with what I did. But see what Jesus says now, next. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. The Aramaic term for idiot is raka, which means empty head. <laughs> or as we would say, stupid or idiot. So I just went on to define what I thought of when I call people that in my heart. So if you cause someone, if you curse someone, it's literally if you say, you fool. As I read these passages again, I thought, Jesus is saying that if we are angry, this is like murdering someone. And I remember thinking, really? This is subject to judgment? When I call someone idiot or names or curse someone, I'm in danger of the fires of hell. Andy Stanley says, imagine what the people thought then. Okay, wait a minute, time out. Jesus compared murdering someone with simply thinking about murdering them? My anger towards somebody makes me guilty as an actual murderer? Jesus says, see, the bar is higher than you thought. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, contempt, a feeling of scorn and derision, is a very spirit that ultimately leads to murder. But we have often murdered one another in our mind and heart and thought, have we not? We have nursed thoughts against people which are as foul as murder. I thought, well, Jesus has forgiven me and I'm under his grace, right? But one Christian author says, notice that Jesus does not say, if you put your faith in me, you can hurt and disrespect your neighbor. But don't worry, I'll forgive you because you are under grace and not the law. Rather, he says, anyone angry with a brother or a sister is subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, idiot, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. So the bad news is that expressing our anger and name-calling and cursing is worse than we think. Name-calling can happen, can become as dangerous as murder. It can destroy families, organizations, communities. I've watched it destroy churches. What Jesus is calling us into is much deeper than just not murdering someone. He's calling us to all, peop to all people with dignity, to treat each other with dignity. Do you see how much this passage proclaims the dignity of the human being created in the image of God? Not only we are not to take the physical life of a human, but we are not to do anything that demeans a person's dignity.
But wait, I thought we could be angry. It is a human emotion. Yes, anger itself is fine. Brian Wilkerson explains, anger becomes sinful when it's hurtful and anger becomes sinful when it's misdirected. Did you get that? Anger becomes sinful when it's hurtful and anger becomes sinful when it's misdirected. It doesn't mean you're not gonna get angry. Cain was angry with God, but he took it out on Abel. When you get mad at the server because your steak is overdone, when you yell at your family or roommate because you had a bad day at work, when you punish yourself for something someone else did, that's misdirected anger. Psychologists tell us that depression is often anger turned inward. So I worked uh, years ago as a therapist at a Christian counseling center. And one day the supervisory position became available. And so I applied for it with one other woman I will name Sarah. I was actually younger and less experienced, but I was chosen because I had better administration and supervisory skills. Well, guess what? Sarah was not pleased. In fact, she was very angry. I would call it enraged. She became so angry that she protested to the directors of the center to change their decision. Guess what? They didn't. They stood by their decision. So Sarah began to take it out on me. And now I was her boss. Sarah would intentionally not show up for supervision appointments. She would refuse to follow through with whatever I asked her to do. The hallways in the agencies was very small and you could only go in one hall. So whenever she would see me, her face would turn to the wall. And others would come to me and say, do you know what Sarah is saying about you? I was like, well, thanks. I didn't really need to hear it. Do you need to tell me that? <laughs> but anyways, I knew she was out talking to others. As a person on the receiving end, I know why Jesus said, this is serious. Don't do this to someone. So as I prepared this sermon, I was once again tested on name calling. I got some news that made me really angry at someone for something they did. And guess what my first reaction was? I called them an idiot in my heart and mind. I did repent faster. But I then sat before the Lord and I asked, so, so what response can I say you know, in my anger? There's gotta be something I can say. <laughs> well, then the Lord said, don't ask the Lord a question like that. Because he said, he is a sinner, just like you are a sinner. I was like, oh, ouch. If the bad news is that our anger can lead us into murderous thoughts and murderous words, that's not our only option. That's not the only place it can lead us. With God's help, it can lead us to reconciliation. Look at verses 23 to 24 with me. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, 
Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Something has happened in your relationship, and you lost it. You got angry. You stepped over the line, and it comes to mind. Jesus says at that moment, go, you, go, and be reconciled to that person. One writer says, Jesus states that even in the middle of a worship service, if you've hurt your brother or sister, if you treated them with disrespect or harbored contempt toward them, first go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. It can't wait. Do it now. Turn your enemies into friends. Convert your contempt into respect. Jesus invites us to take positive steps to heal broken relationships. When I hear that, I think, well, yes, but my situation is complicated. In my situation, the other person is also hugely at fault. And in my situation, that person won't hear a word I'm saying. As ministers of reconciliation, there are limits to what we can accomplish. We cannot force another person to forgive us. And sometimes it takes time for another person to trust us, or we trust them. So true, and I would add, sometimes the other person isn't ready to hear from you. The obligation still remains for us to pursue reconciliation but it may not be according to our timetable. That is why we should be so careful with our words and actions. We can never take back a word uttered and hurt inflicted often leaves lasting scars. As a therapist, and I want you to listen to this clearly, I know that when dealing with sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, the situation becomes very complex. Reconciliation may not be safe. Okay? But I'm talking about the situations where it's not that complicated. It's a matter of you swallowing your pride, becoming humble, and repenting to your fellow brother or sister. Reconciliation is many times the responsibility of the one who has wronged, wronged someone When you know that you've wronged someone, you need to go and make it right. This also means if the other person is willing. Romans tells us that as much as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. So there are going to be times, even when you try, that there's just not going to be peace because of the situation. Over the years in ministry and as a coach of many church pastors and leaders, I've often seen situations where if reconciliation had happened, it would have spared a church split. It would have kept a pastor and their family from getting deeply hurt. Reconciliation would have kept people from becoming disheartened that the church is not any better than the world. This really breaks my heart. And I believe that is why Jesus speaks so strongly about anger. 
and says to let us let it lead us to reconciliation. So what relationship in your life is strained? And partly because of something you said or did. Do you believe that reconciliation can really happen? I find that many believers do not. They assume that the reconciliation will take place in heaven. I believe this is because reconciliation takes a lot of work and humility. It also takes knowing what is driving your anger. Sometimes we don't even know how to talk about the anger. In my work as a counselor and pastor, I find that most Christians know that they should try to deal with their anger and would agree with Jesus that when they step over the line, they must go and reconcile. But they cannot figure out how. They don't know how to deal with their anger. We are frightened by our anger. So as your pastor, I want to offer you the essential first step to dealing with your anger. Take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and discover the root of your anger. We will deal much better with our anger when we figure out what lies behind our anger. One way I found it's helpful, I've taught others this in marital therapy, couples therapy, any leader I work with, they don't end their sessions with me having not learned the AN principle. AN, A is for anger, which results from a hurt, which results from an expectation, which results from a deep need that was not met. And these needs are the deep needs of our hearts, of our souls. And some of these are power, caring, recognition, commitment, integrity, acceptance. For example, when my coworker Sarah got angry at me, guess what? I got angry at her. One day, I received a three-page single-spaced complaint that she admitted, submitted to the executive director listing false accusations against me. Our personnel policy was I had to respond to every one of those complaints. So do you think it made me feel warm and fuzzy towards her? No. I had to really work on my anger. And I had to really name, through the AHEN principle, what was my need? And I realized my need was that she um, realized that my integrity was being brought into question. And integrity, like all of us, is very important to me. So that is what made me angry, and I had to name that. And I found that naming what is making you angry also helps you name what to forgive. Have you ever had where sometimes you're like, well, I want to forgive, but I don't even know what I'm forgiving. I just know I'm angry and hurt and I don't know what to do next. And then I had to go to the Lord, and he reminded me that I did not live my life before Sarah. I lived my life before him. And if I had done everything I could to make sure that my integrity was intact, then I could live at peace with him. It also helps you even to express it 
to another person, especially if you get the chance to do that. Sometimes we don't, like I said, because the situation's complicated. In your situation, where you feel angry, do you know what your need is? If not, are you willing to pray about it and talk to someone about it? The good news of Jesus' teaching is that we do not need to be controlled by our anger. As Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 states, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Paul goes on to tell us in verse 31 to 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. You get stuck in anger towards someone. Talk to a pastor, a spiritual director, or a therapist. Don't allow your heart to be bitter and full of murder towards someone. I've personally had to do this many times in my life and still do. But when you know what is driving your anger, you can move toward forgiving them and reconciliation. AN helps you name what you need to forgive. I wish I could share all the reconciliation times I have had the honor of seeing and been part of, mediated, and have experienced personally. I believe reconciliation is a huge key in keeping church communities healthy and loving one another. I've worked for four senior pastors as their second chair, and I've been thankful for each one as we committed to each other not to go into a service unreconciled. One of them even said, we'll go to therapy together if we have to make things right. As you know, Kevin and I were very involved leaders at a church, and this church went through several splits and friends slandered each other and ruined each other's lives and reputation. I will never forget, one of the leaders finally said, Karen, I must reconcile with my brother. I have sinned against him. I need to stop all the damage that is happening. He went to that brother, and they began to reconcile. It was amazing to watch how so many relationships began to be restored, and a church began a path of healing and reconciliation. In the midst of this reconciling, my friend, my best friend, who had cut me off six years earlier, called me. I'll never forget, I was at work, and I went in, and I saw my, this was back when there was phones, so I know the young people don't know what that is, <laughs> and I saw a little light blinking, and I picked it up, and there was a message, and it said, this is so-and-so, I'm sure you probably don't even want to talk to me, but I'd love to get together and talk. We reconciled. She repented very specifically for everything she knew that she had done against me. And today I still consider her one of my best friends. Reconciliation can happen. When, they say, when people say they do not think reconciliation can really happen, I tell them that I have seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> like Disciple Thomas said, I won't believe it till I see it. And I can tell you, I have seen it and been part of it. In my coaching practice, I'm spending my life 
serving leaders from churches to keep those leaders reconciled with their leaders and congregations. Is every attempt successful? No. But reconciliation will never happen if we do not even try. I encourage us to take a step towards reconciliation. It can happen on this side of heaven. Just a few reconciliation guidelines. Do not reconcile through email or text. (laughs) Got it? I don't know how many people try to reconcile through email or text, and it is so misunderstood. Voicemail, no, Deb. You should know better. (laughs) Way to try to get out of it. Anyways, a face-to-face, because you actually see the person. When I reconcile with my friend, I saw her weep for what she had done and weep for the loss of our relationship. That wouldn't have come through a text. At times, it may require a mediator. And pray. God loves to answer prayers for brothers and sisters to be reconciled. As a parent, don't you love it when your children get along? Or they make up because they just had a fight? So as Jesus says in verse 25, settle your differences quickly. So in conclusion, in this passage, Jesus talks about anger and how it can lead to words like murder, and he talks about reconciliation. The link between the two is this. Where is our anger leading us? To hurt and bitterness? Or to try to forgive and reconcile? Are you angry with someone? Maybe you realize this evening that you're so angry with someone that you call them names or curse them. Do you need to repent of this anger? Jesus will forgive you and can help you get let go of the anger and the judgment. Or is Jesus speaking to you that you need to reconcile with a brother or sister that you know has something against you? Is there someone in this community your family, or work that you know has something against you. You need to go and be reconciled to that person. At Church of the Savior, part of our mission is loving others. I love that, don't you? And part of that, to love others, is learning how to reconcile with a brother or sister. Another way to commit to being reconciled with another when you know that someone has something against you. This is how we can protect the church. This is how we can protect our love. And this is how we can protect our families. Amen.